Welcome, Grace. This is Pastor Dave and my son Isaac. We're here on site at Manassas, Virginia, where the first battle and the second battle of Bull Run or Manassas was fought. That first battle was fought here 151 years ago this week on these grounds and was the opening battle of the Civil War, a war that cost hundreds of thousands of people in America their lives. We've this also been visiting the pokey stops. The pokey stops, sure, yes. There are pokey stops everywhere, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Well, today we're here walking these grounds and just kind of thinking about all the things that happened here, all the the horrible violence that took place here as so many people died on the, on this ground. What does it make you think about, Isaac, when you see this? It, it makes me think how these thousands of people have died by the hands of their own brothers and sisters. Yeah, with these cannons and stuff? It's kind of ironic as we have been walking around this ground and thinking about this that we're looking behind us and seeing a flag at half staff today because of the needless violence that's taking place in our own country even this week as cops are being killed and people are, are getting upset and up in arms over racial violence. It just makes us think after 150 years, when is this going to stop? When is this needless violence and hatred ever going to stop? Today. On a lighter note, we're here to celebrate the fact that we have a guest speaker, a really good guest speaker by the name of Jesse Burke, who has come to us at Grace all the way from Prescott, Arizona. Jesse is the founding pastor, the planting pastor of a covenant, Evangelical Covenant Church, one of our sister churches. They're in Prescott. They just started in February, getting ready to start services very, very soon. Today, he's going to be sharing not about physical death, but about spiritual death and how important it is that we reach out to our brothers and sisters in our country today who don't know Jesus and share with them the love of Christ that mends all wounds. So would you give a warm welcome to Jesse Burke. Well, good morning. Thank you for that welcome. I'm excited to be here. Uh, like Dave said, we're starting a brand new covenant church up in Prescott, Arizona. And I was born and raised in Prescott with my wife and uh, was never a part of the covenant, just found out about the covenant and was introduced to you guys in this last year. I grew up Baptist. Um, but as we were praying and thinking through starting a church in Prescott, looking for a tribe of like-minded people, of people who cared about the gospel, cared about peace and justice and mercy, um, cared about mission, and just just cared about love. We really found a very cool tribe, we think, in the covenant. And so I'm excited to be a part of your guys' family now. And as we launch later this fall, uh, what they have allowed me to do is to start to get to know my family. And so over these last couple months and the next couple, I'm kind of taking a tour of the Southwest and introducing myself to the covenant church and letting you guys to get to know a little about me and what we have going on up there. And just really excited what God God's doing in our town. We have a, a kind of a, a crazy little town. It's a small little community that was small forever. And then about 15 years ago, Forbes put us on the number or in the top 10 places in America to retire to. And so in a very short time, we turned from this kind of podunk little cow town to this retirement community with a lot of money from all around the world coming into our town, and it kind of exploded. And then about five to seven years ago, we had another kind of crazy thing happen where 
um, some laws and some loopholes all of a sudden made it very available for rehab, rehabilitation homes to start opening in Prescott. And overnight, um, it seems like we became what they're now calling us as the rehab capital of the United States. Um, per capita, we have more Alcoholics Anonymous and, and drug rehabs and sex rehabs and just all different kinds of rehab homes in our little city. And so it's been this kind of crazy time of growth and change. And over the, the last 20 years, though, the church has not kept up with pace with people coming in. And what that's left is Barna has now named us as the number three least church places in America. Um, and so because of that, and because I grew up there and I have a love for this city, um, my wife and I decided to come back and to plant a church there and um, to see if we can do that. We're going to be downtown on the square. We're going to try to reach out in a missional way to the rehab community, to the people that have moved there and haven't found a home and are really excited about that. So um, we're we're excited to be a part of your family. Um, we're th- I'm thankful for um, the opportunity to come here. Um, a little quick, just background of me. I was a pastor for a while, went to uh, my undergrad at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, um, and then I got my MDiv from Phoenix Seminary, and I was a youth pastor for a while, and then I pulled out of that and kind of just figuring out my call in life and um, put my fingers in a couple different places. I started running some businesses. I'm a real big entrepreneur and thought about being a tent maker, so I started down that and some real estate investment and started my portfolio there. Um, I also joined the Air Force Reserves as a chaplain and started touring the country and maybe figured out if I wanted to become a chaplain for the Air Force and do that with my life. And then I also joined a missions organization um, that was, we were missionaries to the American church. So we would go in and we would um, connect with churches that were struggling um, or needed some more influence or a new vision or new passion. And we would help work with their teams, work with their staff, work with their people to kind of revitalize and put energy and put new life back in the churches. And so so it's been a crazy couple of years of just being all over the map. I figured at one time, I think I've circled the globe like 10 times in the last 10 years. Um, my wife and I have been married for 12 years. We've lived in 15 different places and um, we're looking forward to settling down and hoping that we can settle and press, get back in our hometown and really kind of plant a church there and be excited about that. And so we are excited. And um, But one of that is that I haven't been in the pulpit for the last couple of years. And so they said, hey, well... Get your pulpit chops back. You can, we'll let you use our churches as guinea pigs. So I appreciate the opportunity to come and be my guinea pig today as I uh, get back in the mode of preaching and standing before people um, and bringing God's word. So I really appreciate that. This morning, they've asked me to share my one prayer. And that's a hard thing on a couple different levels. One is just like, what, what if I could have one prayer for grace and for myself and for the church at whole? What could that be? And that's kind of hard on that level. The other hard level is that once you give a pastor a stage and say, talk about your favorite thing, um, that can be a dangerous thing also because I have the mic and unless he turns me off, I'm stuck here all day. Um, but, but as I started thinking through and praying through that, one of the things that came to my mind was... Um, something that as I was traveling the world, and for as young as I am, I think I've probably, for a person my age, have seen more of the church in more places and, and got to deal with more Christians in more places um, than a lot of people my age, and I count that as a privilege. But one of the things I kept on running into is a problem, and I also started to see a solution. And the problem is that no matter where you are in the world, there seems to be kind of this inherent struggle of 
How do we really grow with Christ? How do I make that a reality in my life? So we all have this desire to be closer to Christ. We want to grow in that. Um, And it's not that we don't have the answers, but it seems like a lot of times the answers that we have, either we're not good at doing, or even when we do them, um, they kind of fall short. And by that, I mean we have our our Christian checklist. We have the the big, long list of things that we should do. We know we should do. I should wake up every morning and read my Bible for an hour. I should spend time in prayer. Um, I should be coming to church and and coming to ministries and getting involved. I should um, witness more. I should do all these things. And we kind of put that list in front of us. And for some of us, we're really good at that list. And I read my Bible every morning, but I still feel a little distance from God. And I still feel some of that struggle. So we're like, okay, well, I'll add more things on. I'll add more things on. And, and I run into people, and I run into people who their whole life is just filled with Christian stuff. And they're doing their checklists all day long, but at the end of the week, they're just like, I feel like I'm doing so much for God, but I'm not really close to him. And then there's other people who look at that checklist, and they try really hard. They're like, I'm going to wake up every morning and read my Bible. And January 1, they do it, and then January 15th, they're like, dang it, I haven't done it since then. Um, and then the next year, they're like, I'm going to do it again. Um, and we struggle through that. Or prayer, I try to pray at night and I fall asleep. And, and we kind of say, well, that's why I'm not close to Christ. And I think that's a big need in a lot of people and a lot of churches of how do I grow into that? And then a- along with that, I started to, to realize and to catch this solution that wherever I saw this happening, I saw it act as a catalyst for growth, for maturity, for hope. And that's what I want to speak on this morning, is that I think it's something that if you add to your life or if you get the right priority in your life, that I think it can make a difference because I've seen it make a difference in churches. I've seen it make a difference in people's lives. I've seen it make a difference in families. Um, And that's going to be found in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. So if you have a phone or if you have a tablet or a Bible and you want to turn there this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 28. It's going to be our jumping off point, and we'll go from there. So Matthew 28, and we're going to be 18 through the end. Just a couple verses. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray real quick. Father God, as we turn to your word now, as we open up your, your book, we ask that you guide us. We invite your Holy Spirit to come and be present here with us this morning and um, convict our hearts. Lord, I ask that I would fade away, that anything that's coming from my heart or from my desires or from my will, that that would just fade from our minds, fade from our lives. But Lord, if you have something for us that's from you this morning, we ask that that can pierce through our armor, pierce through our minds and rest in our hearts and that it can make a difference, that it can change who we are today. So Lord, we invite you to be present in this place with us. We yield this time to you. We yield our minds to you. We'll yield our hearts to you. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So it's a pretty 
fundamental kind of familiar passage. Most of us have probably spent at least some time in this passage in our life. This is the Great Commission, to go make disciples, baptize, um, and teach people to obey. There's been a lot of really number one bestsellers on the Christian um, book list that have been written off of this. And so a lot of times with that familiarity, we can forget kind of the personal side of it because it just becomes, oh yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, I know that. And so this morning, I'm going to kind of break things down into, into two different pieces. And my real heart is in the second piece, but I don't think we can get there until we remind ourselves of this kind of foundational truth in the beginning. And that truth is that the Great Commission applies to you. And I, I know that's like, oh yeah, I know it does. I'm a Christian, it applies to me. But to understand, no, it applies to me. And not only that, it applies to me, but how it applies to me. Because these are kind of big, broad statements. And so what we're going to do is we're really going to quickly kind of lay a foundation for ourselves of what does this mean and how does it apply to me? How does it apply to you as an individual? And so really quickly, um, just to set our foundation so we're all on the same page, this is the very end of Jesus's life. This is actually already after he had been crucified and rose again. And these are some of his last words that he's saying to his disciples. And what he, in essence, he's doing is he's setting up this brand new institution, the church, because the church really didn't exist before this part. And so before they were a nation, they were a people, they were an identity over here. And he's setting up a new identity, a new kind of institution. And he's calling it the church. And he's saying, okay, church, you're no longer Israel. Now you're the church. Here's how I want you to act. Here's what I want you to do. And he gives them this marching orders. He says, I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And I know the temptation here. The temptation here is like, those are big things. And our temptation is like, sweet, that's why we have pastors. Pastors take care of that, because these do sound like big things, right? They started with 12 disciples, and their command was to go into the whole world and kind of be missionaries, and if we look at church today, they obviously did a very good job at that. We can read through Acts and we can see this whole process where they started in Jerusalem and then they moved to Judea and then they moved to the ends of the earth and they started that whole thing and they planted and we can even say, yes, we're still a part of that today. Well, that's why we have missionaries. We're sending them out into the world. That's why we plant new churches. That's why we have pastors so we can spread this message. Sweet, check, that one's being done, but you forget that it applies to you. And the same way we can say with baptism, like, well, okay, yeah, I know what baptism is. It's a symbol, it's a thing, um, but that's what pastors do. Um, that's what happens once every couple months. We pull out some water, we pull out the trough, we dunk somebody, or we sprinkle somebody, sneeze on somebody or something, and, but we baptize, so sweet, that one's happening too. And then, okay, yeah, well, and then teaching. Okay, well, yeah, that's what the pastor does for us. And we can kind of take this truth and we can put it off and we can put it off without understanding that, yes, there is a side of the church, the capital C church, but there are also, this applies to each individual in a very real way. And so really quick, we're going to lay that foundation in that um, helping us understand how each of these applies to you on a personal level. And so that first one, our first command, go and make disciples. There is a sense of that word where it's go into the world to make disciples, but um, you guys probably have heard this, so I don't have to go too deep into it, but that Greek word also has a second sense, a second, actually a stronger sense, and it's as you're going. 
as you go into your world, as you go about your day, this is not about the missionary that goes to Africa and does something. This is about you as you go about your day, as you go into the world. As you wake up in the morning and you step outside your door, I want you to make disciples. As you step into life, as you step into your world, this command is for you. It's not the command to sell everything and go somewhere else, but it's the command of the everyday. To go into your world and make disciples. And that's very true for each one of us. This is a command not just for the church, not just for the missionaries, but it's a command for you. You've been called to step out in the service, to step out in the mission, to step out into the world and make disciples. And so just that quick foundation of that this does apply to you. It applies to me on a personal level. The second one, baptize. Yes, baptism is a symbol. And we do that symbol in different ways. I had a, a fun experience a couple weeks ago. It was my first ever. Um, I was invited to a, a Russian Eastern Orthodox, Orthodox baptism. Um, and it was a two-hour affair. And we stood for the whole time. Um, and we were chanting and all these weird things. And they like covered the symbolism from left to right. There was spitting going on. Um, they, it was a baby. They dunked the baby once, and then they dunked the baby three times, and then they sprinkled the baby, and they sponged the baby, um, and they did everything. And, it, and it's cool. I mean, it was fun, and it was an interesting experience, but it, there was a lot of symbolism in that, and that's part of the reminder is that baptism is an event, but it's also a symbol of something that happens. And there's two big symbols that happen in baptism, and that's why there's some argument of do you do it to babies, do you do it to adults? Because the two things is, one, it's a symbolism that when you were baptized, you were brought into the community of believers. So it was identification with the community. It was a relational thing. Baptism is a relational community identification. So he says, as we go baptize, what it's really saying is, is bring people into your community. Start to identify with each other in community. This is a bringing people in. And it's also the second one is identifying in the relationship in the community with God. And in that, in this time and still today, baptism is a symbol for conflict. For them, it was a very, very real conflict because for a lot of them, if they were to get baptized into this new religion, Christianity, they might lose their old family. They might be cut off from their job. They might lose those networks. And that could be a really hard thing. You might be out in the street and there there was a rub, there was a conflict there. In baptism, it's the idea of like, I'm stepping into the conflict of life. I'm stepping into the conflict of relationship. I'm stepping into the conflict of community. And not just with community here, but then also community with God. Because as I baptize and identify myself with God, and it says in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I'm giving up my own beliefs. I'm giving up my own perfections, and I'm bumping up against, and I'm rubbing up against, and trying to do relationship with a perfect God. And that's hard. And that's something that you do on a daily basis that you have the option to do on a daily basis, that we're called to, to bring each other into community that we baptize, that we bring people into our Christian community, that we bump up against each other, we rub up against each other, we work out what this is, and then also we bump up and rub up against the perfect God and say, okay, I'm identifying with you, I'm stepping into a relationship with you, and that's that picture of baptism. And so we see that this is something that you do, it is a command for you, not just a pastor to, to dunk somebody, but as a past, it's, a, it's a challenge to you every day of baptism is community. It's that rough bumping up against each other in God. 
And then the third is the teaching everybody or teaching them to obey everything I commanded. And yes, you, there's the Bible degrees and everything else like that, but it is really nice because Jesus summed all this up and everybody can be a teacher because if we sw- flip back three chapters in chapter 22, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor on your, as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. You want to know everything else in the Bible? He says it's summed up in this. You don't need a Bible degree or anything else like that. Here's what I want you to teach yourselves. Here's what I want you to teach your family. Here's what I want you to teach the world. Love God, love others. And you don't need a degree for that. And so that's part of our foundation. Where we want to start with us is that the Great Commission applies to you. It's not just a church thing. It's not just a pastor thing. It's not just a missionary thing. You and your daily life have been called to, as you go into life, to step outside your door, to step out into the world, and then to bring people into community, to rub up against a holy God, to rub up against each other, to rub up against everything, and then to work that out. And as we do that, then we turn to God and say, okay, God, what do you have to speak into this situation? And so that's the foundation. Here's my big prayer. Here's my big hope for the church. Here's my catalyst where I've seen this make a difference. I believe that those are true. And I think most of you guys believe those are true. I also believe that the order is inspired. And what I mean by that is I believe that the way God presents this to us is actually one of his number ways that number one ways that he relates to and interacts with humans throughout history. That God interacts with us with a lot of different ways. Sometimes they sense prophets. Sometimes there's life circumstances and everything else like that. But his number one way when he wants to impact, when he wants to grow humans, he walks us through this process where he says, I want you to step into action. And then there's going to be a relational rub with yourself, you and yourself, you and the world, you and me. And then as you experience that, then there's going to be an opportunity for you to grow. And this appears throughout the whole Bible, and we don't have time to go through the whole Bible, but we can walk through and we can think through um, how this happens. And if we want to, we can go back to the very, very first lesson God ever taught man. And this is found in Genesis 2. At the very beginning, God created heaven and earth, and it was good. And day one, it was good. And day two, it was good. And day three, it was good. And everything was really, really good. And everything was going perfect. And then all of a sudden, the very first lesson God needed to teach humankind, and that was that it was not good that Adam was alone. And so in Genesis 2, 18, we see it says, And then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will find a helper for him. And so we have a lesson, finally, okay, sweet. The very first lesson, the very first place that God wants us to mature in life. And what does he do? He doesn't sit down and say, okay, let's have a Bible study. That's, okay, let's sit down, let's, let's figure out this problem, let's, let's get all the truths in line, and then I'll teach it to you, and then you won't be alone anymore. Instead, what he does is he gives Adam a task. He says, okay, Adam, I want you to go name all the beasts of the field. He says, step out into a task, step out into an action. And what happens when Adam steps out into action, all of a sudden, he rubs up against something that's wrong. And it says, and then Adam discovered that there was no suitor fit for himself. All of a sudden, there was a need created. And into that situation, God says, okay, sweet. Now I have an answer for that. I have a truth for that. 
And then we can read the, the rest of chapter two and he says, and I made a woman and the woman's for you, bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh, and now you can leave. And he talks about how in doing this, God answers the need. He teaches Adam through that situation. So we see the very first time God wants to interact, the very first time he wants to teach us something, he does it by calling us to action. And we can trace through the Old Testament, our very next story, we get Noah. The world's going downhill and he says, okay, Noah, I want you to do something. I want you to build a boat. And through that, and as he rubs up against people, as he rubs up against waiting in, in his own imperfection, God teaches him lessons through that. And all of a sudden, Noah matures through that and grows through that as he steps out into action. We see Abraham. Abraham, God wants to create a nation. He doesn't say, okay, here's going to be, let's sit down, let's drop the plans, let's drop the blueprints of what a nation's going to look like, all the laws. He says, no, he doesn't give Abraham anything other than Abraham, go. Step out into this land. I'm going to show you. And then he walks and he's like, he doesn't even give him the whole thing. He's like, go here. Okay, now walk this direction. Okay, now stop. Now walk this direction. Now stop. And God, the whole way, and Abraham's walking and he's rubbing up against life. He's rubbing up against himself. We can see it later in Abraham's life. God wants to teach him this this great lesson about faith. We see this in Genesis 22. A great lesson, a scary lesson. He's like, I want to teach you about faith. Go sacrifice your son. And Abraham says, okay. He steps out into the world. He says, the very next morning, early the next morning, Abraham rose, saddled his donkey, took his, two of his young men with him, his son Isaac, and he cut the, wor- the wood. And we can read through that story and we see how Abraham rubs up against God in, in this trust issue and, and Isaac and Abraham, the relationship there. How do we explain this to my kid? And then in the end, God saves the situation, speaks into the situation. Like I said, we don't have time to go through this, but we see it in Moses. It's parting the Red Sea, time and day and day again. Step out into action. We see it with Joshua going into the promised land. He says, there's a river. I want you to go into the, the promised land. It's like, sweet, okay, let me stop and we'll build a bridge. And we're like, no, I want you to go into the promised land and start walking towards the water. And so they, he acts. He's walking towards the water, and as he does it, okay, there's that rub, and then God answers the situation. They walk around the walls, everything, time after time. And we can fast forward to the New Testament, and we see Jesus show up on the scene. He's like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce something new, and here's how I'm going to introduce it. Hey, you people, you don't know me, but I want you to step into action. Come, follow me. And we can look at the three years of Jesus' life. And time and time again, he's not teaching lessons. He's teaching lessons, but they come at the feet of No, you give them something to eat. No, you go do that. And he puts his disciples in these situations and they step into those situations and I was like, ah, I'm weak. Ah, I don't have faith. And then Jesus speaks into that afterwards and says, okay, sweet, yes, here's the situation. One of my favorites, because it's so clear to me and it's just a a reminder is um, as we're coming up to our verses in Matthew 17 with Peter and walking on water. It happens in three verses. In 14, um, 29, the first one, it's the action, the call to action. He says to Peter, come, walk on me on the water. And so that's the action. There's no other reason. He's like, and he's been working on these lessons of faith with Peter, but he, call, he doesn't give him another lesson of faith. He says, okay, come, get out of the boat, walk on water to me. And Peter does that. He gets out of the boat and he starts walking. And then all of a sudden he runs into that relational rub. He looks at the water. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. He runs into his own weakness. And then the very next verse, verse 31, Jesus grabs him up and says, okay, let me teach you another lesson on faith. 
And all this, I mean, and I don't want to bore you and I don't want to get to, but the, the idea that I believe that this is the way God interacts with us. When he wants us to grow, what he does is he calls us to action. And then we get and we see where he's calling us to a new church, to be a new church, to start a new thing. He's saying, new church, here's my establishment. Here's how I want you to grow. Here's how I want you to spread. Go. Take your step. Take your step out into the world. And then start to watch and start to listen because as we get outside the boat, as we start to walk towards that river, all of a sudden we'll rub up against ourselves. We'll rub up against society. We'll rub up against the holy God. And God says, into that situation, I want to speak. But I think one of the things that I've seen is that a lot of times we believe in those three steps. We believe that, okay, yes, I need, to, I need to go. I need to serve people. I also need to be in relationships, and I need to know God. But we kind of flip the whole thing on its head. And we say, okay, well, here's my first step. Before I go serve, before I go do anything for Christ, I, I need to know everything. I need to go to Bible school. I need to read a couple books. I need to train myself. I can't, I can't go talk to my neighbor until I know the whole pitch and I know the answer to everything. I can't serve kids until I have my life 100% correct. I, I can't do, I can't, I can't because I don't. And we kind of, we make our whole Christian life about this task of knowing everything and it keeps us from the action. And, or, and then we say, okay, well, no. And then I'll kind of step into community a little and we'll talk about that. And then we, we keep the going for the end. And I think God calls us to flip that on its head. I think God calls us to say, no, I, I'm wonderful. I'm best dealing with screwed up people. Look at my word. I don't call the holy. I call messed up people. And I say, I'll teach you as you go. Take that step out into your world. That's where I'm going to teach you the lesson. Take that step. I, you don't need to build the bridge. You don't need to have all the plans. That's not my plan for you. And I remember the very first time, and, and this is hard, and it, but I think it is so profound, and I think that just profound because that's where we actually start to see growth, but I think it answers another question. And the very first time I was struggling with this and starting to see this, um, I was a youth pastor at the time, and I was really excited about discipleship. I wanted to disciple young men and women. Um, and I had identified several young men, women, men and women in my youth group, and I was like, okay, sweet, I'm going to disciple them, I'm going to grow them up into tomorrow's best leaders of the world. And so I went out and I got some books on discipleship and um, combined them all into Jesse's wonderful discipleship program with flashing lights and everything else like that. And I started putting these kids through it and it involved like waking up and reading a Bible for every, an hour every morning. It involved like memorizing 5,000 verses throughout the year. It involved like a couple hours of prayer and, um, and the kids were failing miserably. Um, and they were really depressed. It was hard for them because they, they wanted to be mature Christians. They, want, they, they were the star students and they're like, yes, we're going to do this. And I kept on giving them tasks and they were failing. And I was mad at myself. I'm like, I'm not discipling them. We're just all, everybody's frustrated and they're giving up. And they're like, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be a mature Christian. Maybe I just can go sin because this is not for me. And, and struggling through that. And, and God started to lay this on my heart. And so I kind of made this young, foolish promise to God of like, okay, God, here's the deal. If you send me another person to disciple, 
I will totally ignore Jesse's fantastic discipleship thing, and I won't teach them a thing unless you lead it there first. We're just going to step in the mission together, and we're going to do that. And I was really excited. I'm like, sweet, okay, send the person. And then everything hit the wall with the next person they sent me was the roughest, crazy kid in the youth group came up to me and says, hey, I think I want to be discipled. Um, brand new Christian, even if he was a Christian, and just so many problems with him. But probably one of his biggest problems with him was his mouth. He just cussed all the time. And I was just like, okay, sweet. Well, the first thing that needs to go is that, because like we can't have you cussing around other people or the kids or anything else like that. And God's like, nope, remember your promise. I'm going to deal with this one. And so it was rough. And I said, okay, let's step into ministry. Let's, let's, let's step into the world. And so we started praying about it. And here's a place we're going to step out into life together. And we're going to listen for God. And we're going to look for that rub. And so we did that together. And we went through this process. And we got to the end and said, okay, where did, what did God teach you? Where were you rubbing up against God? Where were you rubbing up against yourself? And I'm like, we're going to get rid of cussing now. Um, and he said, actually, where God really talked me, uh, he's kept on dealing with my, I hate my parents. Like, I don't know, I don't know why, but that, that's where God just kept on convicting all through this whole process. It had nothing to do with parents, but he's like, I hate my parents. I think I need to start dealing with that. It's like, okay, amen, sweet, let's deal with that. That's awesome. We'll deal with cussing next. And then we did another event, and at the end of that one, he's like, I, it's not just my parents. I think I'm just angry at the world. I think I need to deal with that. So we said, okay, what does the Bible have for that? Where can we talk through those? And we started, and he started growing, and he started maturing, and God started bringing things to his life, and it was never cussing, and it was never cussing, but God was dealing so many awesome things in his life. And then, amen, a year and a half later, he came to me, and he said, you know what? I think God's convicting me, like, I have a really bad mouth. I'm like, really? It's crazy. (laughs) But he's like, I think I should stop that. And a day later, he didn't cuss anymore. But I think back to my previous where I looked, I decided the agenda. It was Jesse's amazing discipleship plan that was based on what I thought a good person looked like. And I think a lot of times, not just we, me, but I think we run into this as a church that we define cultural Christianity of here's what a good Christian looks like. And we set up the rules and the systems and the checklist according to that instead of pressing into Jesus and saying, okay, God, what do you have? Maybe it's not the cussing. Maybe it's my anger. Maybe it's not how much I witness, but maybe it's how tight I'm holding on to my possessions. Now, I don't know. And I've done this throughout the years, and it shouldn't surprise me, but it still surprises me of the random things. Like, we'll step into ministry, and it's like, hey, let's go buy rice for some people in Mexico. I don't know. And we'll get back, and it's like, hey, where did God meet you in that? And they're like, I hate Muslims. Like that's, I mean, but God speaks into that and he gets to the heart. And we have an example of that in the Bible where, I mean, in, in chapter 14 of Matthew, the same thing, the rich ruler comes to Jesus and he comes and he says, look, I've done all the checklist. I don't lie. I give, I do all these things. Can I enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, one thing you lack, you need to sell everything and come follow me. He calls him to action. And when he calls him to action, that gets to the heart of his real issue. And the rich young ruler walks away because he had a lie. Jesus was able to see to the true issue. And we don't have that ability. We can't see through to people's true issue, but Jesus can. And when he says, when you step into ministry, when you step into action, Jesus can meet you where you're at. If you start to listen to him and you start to walk into that So my challenge this morning, my big one prayer for the church, because I've seen this time and time again, 
And at first it was an identification of just like, why are these people growing more? Why are they maturing faster? And then as we started to identify that, and I started to identify that, and then started helping walk people through that, I saw the fruit that came from not creating our checklist of here's what makes a good Christian, but instead following God's program of saying, go, step into your world, step in the ministry. What has God called you to do? Is it family? Is it friends? Is it here at the church? Is it in the community? Is it in the world? What is it that he's saying, get out of the boat? Don't plan the bridge. Don't step in the ministry because that's where I'm going to meet you. That's where I'm going to get to that hard issue where you have to throw the checklist away and say, okay, wow, that's the real one. Meet me here. Help me grow through this. And then I'll call you to take another step. My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for the church is that we become a church that steps into our world. Because think, as we do that, we let go of cultural Christianity, we let go of um, our own checklist, we let go of some guilt and shame and things that we hold over ourselves and instead we step into God's grace, we step into his arms, we step into his program, we step into his hope where he meets us where we're at. So my prayer for you this morning is to step into your world and then start to listen for God, start to look for that rub Start to look for that relational bumping up against God, bumping up against the world, because that's where he wants to grow you. And I think he'll meet you there. I think he'll grow you through that. And I think you'll experience, it'll be a catalyst that you haven't experienced before in your Christian life.